episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. Happy New Year, Nithin. What's good? It's 2022, and we're back at it. Happy New Year, man. Um, excited to be back. Excited for this stretch run. Not even a stretch run yet, but the second half, whenever the calendar turns, is when it starts getting real. Everyone in the NBA circles knows Christmas Day is really kind of the the, the opening tip uh, for all intents and purposes. So we got a big couple months coming up between All-Stars, trade deadline, then playoff jockeying, lottery jockeying. I think this, the action really gets to be nonstop from here on out. So looking forward to it. Especially because the NFL starts to simmer down. I mean, I know you got playoffs and things like that, but then, you know, in a month, that's pretty much done. And all we got is basketball uh, all the way until the summer. So I'm looking forward to it. Finally, it seems like some of these teams are getting their guys back. It seems like the rosters are somewhat yeah. stabilizing. Kyrie's back. Um, Crazy. He had man. his first game. So Crazy you know, things to feel watch like him play. Yeah. And, and he was killing it in the fourth quarter, too. So things are getting back to normal, it feels like, which is nice. Yeah, I, I and quickly on Kyrie, it's amazing that he basically just didn't do anything for like three months, four months, or whatever it was, and then shows up 22 points, bunch of clutch baskets down the stretch. The Nets, this is why we were so bullish on them. This is why everyone was so bullish on them, you know, preseason um, before we knew about Kyrie's absence, because even when they played one bad half of basketball, they can erase it all so quickly. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. And to the N- NFL point, this is the weird thing, right? Because this is normally wild card weekend coming up, but we got this week 18 now that's kind of changing up the, uh, changing up the whole schedule. And so pushed out Super Bowl and everything else, but what quickly on the NFL, like, has it been weird with this extra game or do you think it's, you know, seeing all the records right now, it's like, okay, that's their end of the season record, but it's like, Oh, one more to go. It does feel longer, but I don't know how much of that is just like, like I know Bill Simmons keeps talking about how long the season feels and I don't know if one game really makes it feel that way, but it, it does feel a little bit like the season has gone on for a little too long now. So um, I feel like it's done by now. If one more game kind of feels strange, but and a bunch of records in the balance, right? Like Cooper Cup could have the you know receiving record across the board uh, in terms of receptions, yards, all those kinds of things. Um, and there's, there's a TJ Watt could get the sack record with just one more sack to go. So this is what people were afraid of with the 17 games, just how quickly some of these numbers would, would fall. But I also think that, you know, for the most part, we went from 14 to 16 and people got used to it. It'll be about the same this time around. Yeah. People will forget about it quick. It, it's just funny because you think about basketball and we go by averages, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you never do go by totals because there's 82 games. It makes sense. Can you imagine if the NFL did that? Like, it doesn't make any sense because if a guy misses time, like, that should matter. But Yeah, yeah. If you miss four games, that's considered things. a lot in an NFL season. Yeah. Like, if a guy misses four to five games every year, they get the injury-prone label. Whereas in mm-hmm. the NBA, if you play 75% of your games, you're almost borderline Iron Man at that point. Exactly. No, no one's going to bat an eye. <laughs> so... Um, quickly on your, your Tampa Bay Bucks kind of limping in to the playoffs right now. They have locked up the NFC South, so we know that they're going to have at least one home playoff game. Depending on this weekend's outcomes, they could have as many as, you know, two or three um, by getting Only the two. number two seed. Well, the Packers lost, right, in the conference semifinal. No, Packers locked up the one seed. No, 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 that's what I mean. Like, it could be three home games if the Packers uh, lose yes. in divisional, depending. Yes. 
But, yeah. you know, you'll lose the tiebreaker to the Rams and you'll win it over the Cowboys. So it kind of just depends on how everyone everyone finishes out. What are your uh, – where's your confidence level about a repeat coming into the playoffs? Not high at all. Uh, I just think without Godwin, without A.B., there's just not enough firepower on this offense. And and it's not like, oh, look, Brady can win with crappy receivers. It's this system. This system thrives on – it doesn't scheme guys open. It requires yeah. on tal- relies on talent, relies on deep plays, relies on you know possession-type receivers as well who can make plays in space. Um, uh, or who don't have to make plays in space. Yeah. So it, it's I I don't think that because of those injuries, I just have a hard time seeing us keeping up with Green Bay, keeping up with Dallas, these high powered offenses. Yeah. And it's just too much, man. This is not our year. Like everything's gone wrong, and with this AB stuff this week, it's like this is clearly not our year, and that's fine. We got to talk about the AB stuff. This is maybe the most absurd thing that I've seen happen in a in a football game. Right. You see a bunch of shit that's crazy off the field, like T.O. doing curl ups in his driveway, stuff like that. But to to take your jersey off, toss it, toss your, you know, your your pads and whatever else into the stands and then just walk off through the field in a live game. A lot of conflicting reports. A.B. is not exactly the cleanest track record of honesty and and um, sort of like rationality as a person. So people are definitely going to crush him. But I thought it was interesting, you know, how he talked about the ankle and, you know, that that type of thing. Who knows what to believe, but. Well, well, the story is pretty, pretty clear now. You I don't know and a lot like of other people organ- are immediately jumping on the Bucks and B.A. and demanding an apology for A.B. when he released his uh, the statement. And look, what what happened was the Bucks. he asked he went up to the Bucks, asked them if he can get his incentives like a week or two ago. They said they're not going to guarantee it. You have to play to get them. Yeah. He's pissed about that. He's already miffed about the fact that the Bucks didn't really have his back or defend him in the whole Vax controversy, even though mm-hmm. they kept him on the team. And Amber knew the ankle injury. That was not news. What was news was in the middle of the game, he decides he's going to stop playing. Bruce Arians tells him, all right, then you're done for the day. And then he throws a tantrum. This all after at halftime, he was bitching about the targets he was getting. Uh, where you know he thought Brady wasn't throwing to him enough and was throwing too much to Gronk, so the Bucks didn't do anything wrong in this situation. There's no like controversy here. It's just AB being AB, and he went off the rails. You're so confident. Were you in the locker room at the time, like listening to this conversation, and you're like on the sidelines? Yeah, exactly. You, it was you right were next part to of the, Bruce you part of the You were part of the 53 man roster versus the Jets. That's how um, confident you are in this. No, I mean, most likely AB is 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 that wrong, but I definitely think it stemmed from the lack of guarantees. I don't know how common that is, honestly, in terms of the incentive guarantees. I feel like the Bucks were already pissed off by the suspension and therefore didn't do it. If, for example, AB had just gotten hurt, let's say he missed those three games because he was still dealing with the ankle, and then he comes back and asks them to guarantee it, and he hadn't created that scene with the fake Vax card, I bet you they would have been more agreeable to it, but they were probably already angry, said, no way, we're not doing that, and then it set him off further. Of course. Why would they why would they guarantee this guy's incentives? First of all, incentives are incentives for a reason. And the Bucks do everything to get their players' incentives. If you remember last year, last game of the season, like he needed three more catches with like a minute left. We were up in a blowout, and Brady literally did three straight shovel passes to Antonio Brown to get him his incentives. 
in the game against the Panthers, the game right after he came back from suspension, he was targeted 15 times. Like, it's not like they were totally icing him out because they're pissed at him. They were getting him as his targets. And they got him That's five the, in the first half of this Jets game. Like, what more do you want? That's the other thing I didn't understand. He was good against Carolina. So did he get hurt in practice or something? No, dude. He already had this ankle injury. That's It's been documented up until Carolina. He tweaked it in practice this week. Okay, he tweaked it. Yeah, I know But that was on the injury but... report. That was discussed. It's not like some news. And then he said he was good to go. Checked up by the medical staff. Good to go. He said he was good to go. And so he played. No one, you're acting like people like freaking threw him onto the field and, you know, had a gun to his head, forcing him to run routes. Well, honestly, I don't know what to believe because he was also with that OnlyFans girl the night before. Did you see this? I, I did see that that story <laughs> come out He was with this too. girl the night before and he says, let me tell you, or like, watch out, watch what happens tomorrow. So he had this whole thing maybe pre-planned. I don't even know where that it was. I don't know if that was a direct source from her or like where that story got that launched. It, it was from her. It was from her. And was, then she also posted on Instagram a screenshot of her positive COVID test and then said, Bucks better watch out. Oh, no. <laughs> this whole thing is a disaster. Really. I actually am more convinced than ever that every quarterback should be trying to get it this weekend. Every playoff quarterback. Like, Mahomes, he hasn't had it for what for what we know. Brady hasn't had it. Josh Allen, like all these dudes are going to be playing the first weekend. They could easily, even with the changed uh, CDC, do whatever the fuck you want. New guidelines that the CDC put out. It's still five days, right? So five days, you get tested on Thursday, right before yep. a Sunday wild card game. You're dead in the water, vaccinated or not. So I would be thinking long and hard about how to avoid that situation come playoff time because. I don't think anything like imagine if Brady, who took all, take all the precautions necessary, he's sitting at home missing a playoff game because he's asymptomatic with COVID. That would be that would set off a shitstorm that we haven't seen in a while. I think. You know, I used to laugh at you about this every time you, you suggested this multiple times. Multiple like, times. Just get them, <laughs> have them all get it, get it over with, and then go. I actually, for once, I'm like, you know what? I'd rather have them do that right now. Like, just I was re. Yeah, I mean, I was reading some article about how in like South America they were starting to pursue this strategy of like letting the healthy people go out there just so that they can get the get the immunity the way that um, you know would would make sense for them. Who knows? Yeah, I'm definitely not advocating that as a as a smart thing, but you know these athletes and a lot on the line for them. Yeah, I'm sure they would if they could, they would take the risk if like yeah. they were allowed to for sure. All right, we should do a wild card preview next week. We'll also probably keep up with it throughout the playoffs. Super Bowl is not till February 13th, so we still have a while to go. I did see they're considering alternate options, though, because L.A. has reinstituted the mask mandate and some other things. And I don't know why that would really matter, because it, many stadiums require the masks. So I don't see why that's an issue. But no, I've heard so, that- so there's so much weird. OK, so L.A. has already had a mask mandate. They're extending it. Right. It's not like but. I have been to SoFi Stadium. And yeah, you're supposed to wear masks. No one's wearing it. It's fine. Yeah. Like, like I told you how things are in California, right? The issue is they're worried. I think the NFL is worried that in case California has input, like places more strict rules, yeah, um, which they could because it's California and they've been known to do that. That's what they're worried about. The current rules would not prohibit much. But yeah, they're worried they're about like, capacity restrictions. Right, 50% capacity, max limits, stuff like that. It's an indoor yeah. stadium. I mean, that would be a colossal disaster for the NFL. 
It's yeah, it's just the capacity. I don't think they care about the masks. How hard is it to move a freaking Super Bowl, which is like a you know massive event, four weeks early? Like that seems like a very or six weeks to go. That seems like a very very difficult thing to do to just up and move it to Dallas, to Cowboy Stadium. Is it though? Because like from an infrastructure standpoint, there's not much. I mean, it's, um, it's more just the more hotel availability, the restaurants, like the events, like yeah. But a big space. city like Dallas, and it's not like it's they can they can get the hotel rooms and the venues, right? Like I don't know. Yeah, if the Mavericks are in town, like that could be complicating. Stars, <laughs> I don't know. But all right, let's switch to let's switch over to the NBA. Like I said, Week 18 is coming up. There's a bunch of playoff scenarios, but I always find Week 18 kind of boring because half the league is like not trying. Yeah, um, but nonetheless, it, it'll be fun to at least watch. I think the best one and no fantasy. Sun- that's the no fan. Yeah, yeah, that's actually the biggest problem. Sunday night though, winning in that's always fun. Chargers Raiders. Um, whoever wins that, I can't even believe the Raiders are in this position after everything that's happened to them this season. And I also can't believe the Chargers are in this position after people crown Justin Herbert as being like better than Patrick Mahomes like <laughs> six weeks ago. But nonetheless, um, NBA. So what we're gonna do today? Let's talk through. We're going to talk to, for each conference, uh, who's been the most uh, surprising team favorably, and then who's been the most disappointing team. So we'll start in the East. They could be none other than the number one seed Chicago Bulls, who come in to tonight sporting a record of 25-10. and 10. Again, everyone talked about Brooklyn. Everyone talked about Milwaukee. But no, it's the Bulls that at this point um, are tops in the conference. You know, they've done this by actually playing a lot better defense than I think people thought they were going to play. And an unbelievable two-headed monster with DeRozan and Levine, both over 26 a game. So let's talk about the Bulls. What's jumped out to you thus far, and what are you looking forward to to see if they're able to keep up the second half of the season? I mean, with the Bulls, it's really, to me, look, the, the narrative has been somewhat consistent where improved defense They've got uh, enough shot creation on offense and consistent guys to go to. But I think I think the story is around DeMar DeRozan. Um, and the funny thing is he had a career resurgence in San Antonio. And we've talked about it. People have talked about it. But in San Antonio, given that that team hasn't really gone anywhere, I don't think people realize just how good he's been. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, everyone has been watching the two game winners he hit recently, like back-to-back. But I Wiz. think it. what's interesting is he's become the engine for that offense and their go-to yep. guy in crunch time. Yep. Um, not uh, Levine, even though Levine's a star of that team. You, you could argue DeRozan is more worthy of an all-star appearance this year or kind of that top dog spot on Chicago. And when you think about having DeRozan and Levine, like these two guys who can get their shot off at any time, 25-plus point-per-game scores, on top of the, their kind of defensive versatility as a team. Yeah. Like th- they are – I mean, I don't know what else there's to say. Like, And they're coached well, right? Billy Donovan, I think we were high on him last year. I think we hit the Bulls over, and they they um, did not meet it. Um, but I think he's starting to get his handprints on this team. And, yeah. Um, they're getting contributions from a lot of guys. Like, a lot of guys are getting minutes and, and, and playing pretty well like across the board. And truthfully, they didn't hit that last year because Levine got COVID. They were trying to integrate Vucevic. It was still a roster in transition. But I think between the job that Donovan has done, like you called out, but specifically Arturis um, Kasanovis, I can't—I actually don't know how to pronounce his last name, but the, the president of the Bulls, he has totally remade this roster in like two years. It's incredible. Um, 
And I would say as, as bullish, no pun intended, uh, as we were on Chicago preseason, there's a few things that have really surprised me, even for someone who thought they were going to be pretty good. One, I thought they were going to collapse defensively with Vucevic as the back line. And then after Pat Williams got hurt, I was like, oh, man, that was like their one elite, potentially elite defender. They're 12th in the league in defense. It's nothing incredible, but it's enough to get them by with how explosive their offense is. Two, Lonzo and Caruso are some of the deadliest, most frustrating perimeter defenders in the league. Like when you watch them harass the shit out of everyone they're playing against, they create so many opportunities, not just directly from steals or turnovers, but, you know, rush shots, kind of like people missing assignments, missing up, screwing up uh, pick and roll coverage. Like they're doing it all. And fact is Caruso's missed nine games and Lonzo's missed a handful of games here too. And so they don't even, they haven't even had those guys for a little bit of time and they're still able to roll. And then three, how well Levine and DeRozan have meshed. You talked about it. DeRozan has already elevated his game from what he showed in Toronto, but he was just doing it in the morass of San Antonio where it was total obscurity, right? He's become a much more willing passer. He's basically maintained his efficiency as a two point scorer. um, And really, Frankly, that's somehow gotten even better this year. And Levine, who was a 50-40-90 guy or close to it last season, has picked up right where he left off. And I thought he would, you know, they would struggle to play off one another because they're so good at ISO basketball. It just hasn't happened. I mean, they're, they, Matt, one of the hardest things, and you see this in Boston, right, with the challenge of the your, your turn, my turn with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, it just hasn't been an issue in Chicago for whatever reason. Um, and Vooch is starting to get going too after a slow start. I mean, it's too early to say, can they challenge for the title or can they challenge to come out of the East? But you can't sit there and tell me Brooklyn or Milwaukee are necessarily head and shoulders above the Chicago team right now, even if they'd be favored in a series. Well, you don't think Milwaukee is still head and shoulders above Chicago in a series? I get right now, but in a playoff series? In a playoff what, series? What is their answer to Giannis? Well, I mean, they don't have one right now. Javante Green is the answer currently. <laughs> um, but this is where they become a really interesting trade piece, trade team, right? Because you have the Pat Williams contract. He is obviously a pretty sought-after prospect, someone the Bulls also have high hopes for. Um, but the question is, do you push your chips into the middle right now and go get that wing defender who can kind of keep up with, with the honest, whether that's like a Jeremy Grant um, or maybe you want someone who's a little less shot happy because it takes away from what you got going yeah. on that end and you really just want to focus on defense. Like ideally, you know who the perfect can't guy would be to make a trade for? Who? Be Jonathan Isaac if he was healthy. But, he but he's not healthy. healthy. <laughs> yeah, you can never say healthy. We haven't seen the dude play basketball in like two years. He's got more Fox News appearances than actual games logged <laughs> since the bubble. So absolutely no clue what his plan is to return, but that's the kind of archetype that they really need. They do. They they need that type of of defensive wing um, who can who can guard the four. You know the the funny thing about the, you talked about them in in transition with uh, Caruso and Lonzo. I mean they are the best transition scoring team in the league in terms of efficiency or points per per possession in transition. They're also, but you know we talked about Cleveland last week and how they zig when everyone zagged or zagged when everyone zigged right in terms mm-hmm. of an unconventional lineup well chicago doesn't take they're the last in the league in terms of three pointers attempted right which goes against conventional wisdom of what offense should look like 
in today's NBA. But we're seeing that kind of go back, shift more towards mid-range. More teams are developing a more diverse shot profile. But they shoot at a 39% clip and lead the league, right? So the That's fewest crazy. threes, That's super crazy. efficient on your threes, efficient in transition, and then they have guys who can score in the mid-range and create shots on offense. Like That is why they're kind of humming on offense. And then, like you said, they've got guys who can play D. Um, and it's it's just a well-balanced team. And so even though I, I did say like Milwaukee, I don't think they stand a chance, given that they're so well-balanced, this is a team that like, look, we saw Atlanta make a run last year. We saw, um, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff in the playoffs. Even There's no Phoenix, reason why right? Chicago couldn't make it yeah. to the conference finals. You're right. Yeah, and, and it's funny that you brought up the three-point stat. You know how Charles Barkley gives off some of those old man yells at cloud vibes, especially as it relates to analytics and, and modern basketball? Yep. I think he actually hits the nail on the head in regards to the three-point barrage that's taking place. And his take, take is, look, if you're Steph Curry, by all means, shoot 10 to 15 threes a game. But if you're some scrub that can't shoot, that doesn't know how to shoot, doesn't shoot well, never has shot well, why are you taking so many threes just for the sake of taking them? Because it's a higher percentage shot or it's a higher point per possession shot. Like take the shots that you're good at taking or practice threes until you're a good person to take those. Right? Yep. And the bulls have really, have really uh, leaned into that philosophy. Like you take a guy like DeRozan, who's never been a three point shooter. He's shooting a career high 36% this year, but he only takes two a game and they're always wide open uh, or crazy end of game uh, buzzer beaters. One of the two. And he's not going to force the issue. The guys who are going to take a lot are Lonzo Ball, right? Are They are Zach Levine. They are Vucevic, guys who can shoot this three consistently and have proven so in their career, right? Like Lonzo's at 41%. Levine's at 42%. Like those are the guys you even Caruso and, and Vuce are at 36. Those are the guys you want taking all your attempts. And they've really figured out the inside-outside game plus the mid-range. So they're kind of like a team that's constructed as a three-level scorer, which makes them really hard to stop. Exactly. And, and, and like you said, they're not adopting that blanket philosophy of everyone, you know, shoot threes. And it's kind of like the opposite of the Rockets, right? Where it's like everyone has the green light to shoot from three or score in the paint. Yeah. Um, and that is, I mean, that's literally what makes them hard to guard, like you said. And I, I just, the only, the only thing is like you with the, with the defense against the fours and fives, like when you're playing Giannis, when you're playing Embiid, it's tough. It's yeah. going to be tough in the playoffs. That's the only concern I have for them because everywhere else, they're solid. It's a big concern. Vooch is notorious for getting cooked in the playoffs, um, specifically by Embiid. They've, they've faced Philly in the playoffs before. Uh, he's destroyed them. You know, they've faced the Bucks in the playoffs before, and Giannis has destroyed them. So I don't know what they do. Like, I don't know who the guy is. Another player that was rumored to be like, maybe this is the guy they should go after is a Christian Wood. Right, some more interior defense, some more interior scoring, rebounding presence, because um, because right now a lot of the rebounding does fall on you know Vooch's plate, and especially in the playoffs, you want to make sure that you can kind of protect the glass if you're not going to be a great defensive team. Now they're top ten in rebounding, so it hasn't hurt them yet, but we know when this game slows down, when Embiid starts logging 38, 39 minutes. It's going to be tough to keep him away from the rim um, for an entire series. Yep. The other thing I think with with the Bulls that's that's interesting is they've gotten a lot of production from true randos, right? Like guys you never heard of before the season started. So like, you know, Io Dosunmo, 
He's giving Disun Mu. He's giving him good minutes. He's I mean shit. He's playing 19 minutes a game. I think he's a rookie. They haven't even expect. They probably weren't really expecting anything from him, right? Um, Alfonso McKinney is playing some time. Javante Green, who was buried on the Celtics bench, he's he's been actually a pretty key player and and, and has logged some crunch time minutes, right? Um, they have Kobe White coming back. The roster is imbalanced towards the backcourt. They got to figure out if and how they t- can shift it, and we've talked about that. But you know, right now they're not getting killed for their lack of size. Uh, maybe it's a matter of time, or maybe they've unlocked something because DeRozan at the four is such a night- matchup nightmare for the opposing defense. Yeah, and I mean, I think they've unlocked something. I think this lineup of the regular season is going to work just fine, and they're going to continue to rack up wins. It's it's literally the matchups versus Embiid and Giannis. Yeah, that they need to be concerned about. I think as a team construction, they're going to be fine. But who doesn't, right? That's the thing. Who is Giannis or Embiid not giving thirty and ten, rolling out of bed to? That's that's fair. I mean, Embiid. Like, yeah, stopping the Sixers isn't about stopping Embiid. It's about limiting everyone, everyone else, else and yeah. he's going to get his. And like you watch them, even even last night, a game where I think he had thirty one or thirty two, getting his points pretty easy. They still had to come back against. Um, the Orlando Magic, who are one of the worst teams in the league, right? Yeah. They still kind of play difficult games night to night. Now, you know, if we say, hey, there's no answer for Giannis, I'm definitely taking the Bucks. totally fair. I think it's also very respectable to go as far as a Bucks series loss if you're Chicago. You know, coming into the season, if you said that was the only thing that stood in your way, you'd be like, damn, that must have been a pretty, pretty good season that we had. So they're not at Milwaukee's level. But I think Milwaukee is actually, at this point, maybe a cut above Brooklyn, too. So maybe they're closer yep. to Brooklyn than Brooklyn is to Milwaukee at this stage. And, you know, Durant is the only guy on that team that really is consistent night to night. Um, and that includes Kyrie, who can't be consistent night to night because he's not going to play half the games. <laughs> so. All right. So the disappointing team in the in the East, you you alluded to him earlier, and that is last year's uh, conference finalist that did lose to Milwaukee, the Atlanta Hawks, who came into this year, they were pretty much universally picked to finish third in the East, and people thought if, you know, matchups broke right, maybe they make another another deep run. They did a good job locking up everyone. Capella extension, Trey Young extension, John Collins extension, Kevin Herter extension, so they really, really spent a lot of money to keep this core intact. They already have Bogdanovich um, and and Gallinari on long-term deals, and, of course, Hunter and Reddish on rookie deals. So this team has been loaded just from – and Ekongu, actually. This team's loaded just from, like, a name standpoint. And the bottom has fallen out defensively from what we saw last year, where they're able to hold it together after Nate McMillan became coach. They're a train wreck defensively. They're 27th in the league. And so even though they have the second-ranked offense and Trey Young has been scorched earth basically all year, they sit at 17 and 20 and outside actually the, the, the play and they're 12th in the East behind ahead of only the teams that are trying to lose. So what's going on with, with Atlanta and are they going to be able to turn this thing around fast enough? I mean, it, it, the crazy thing is they were never a great defensive team this year. They've become atrocious, but given how well Trey has played and, um, kind of his career high numbers across the board, right? I think this is the most efficient three-point shooting season he's had. Yeah, and he's as a passer, incredible. he's only continued to get better. Like, he is amazing this season. Uh, it's surprising to me that they're still floundering. Um, and this is a team that I don't really know what they do. 
Um, do you ship out some other piece? So, you know, there have been talks about, okay, can they put together a Gallo and Reddish trade? They've got pieces that they can send out. Yeah. So do you hit the panic button and try to make some moves? Um, or do you kind of blame, you know, COVID, some of the lineup shuffling? Um, you know, they, they've had, just like many other teams, they haven't had a lot of their guys. Like they had, they played pretty much empty handed against the Kings last night and still won. But um, <laughs> bad, bad example, but understand the point. Yep. But yeah, I don't know. Like they're also in this group of they're with the Celtics, the Knicks, these teams that we all thought would be a little bit better, at least the Knicks and Hawks. Um, yeah. No, but, it's tough. It's tough, right? Because, you know, Herder's missed 18 games. Hunter's missed 26 games. Akongwu has, you know, he's only played in five games, so he's missed 32 games. They kind of have up and down the roster a lot of people who are in and out of the lineup, and it becomes tough. You know, Bogdanovich, 13. So it becomes tough to, like, get to any sort of rhythm. Um, and now they have COVID issues across the board. But ultimately, I think their issue is their, their number one problem is Capella is a different guy than he was last year. Um, he's not providing that rim protection because when you have a player like Trey Young on your team, he is so unique that you have to do everything you can to fit the bill around him. It's it's very, it's not too dissimilar from the same philosophy when you have a Luca or a LeBron, but you're needing to address different shortcomings, right? With Luca and LeBron, it's not a shortcoming, but the reality or Harden, the reality is the ball is going to be in their hands ninety percent of the time when they're on the floor. So how do you build a team around him that can all coexist? With Trey, the problem is he's so bad defensively because of his size, because of a little bit of, you know, lethargy. How do you build a team that will compete on that end really, really hard? Almost like the way the Sixers built around Allen Iverson. Um, And I look at some of these guys and I don't know that they're necessarily the type of two-way wings that you would, that you would necessarily, you, you'd want in all instances. And a guy like Deandre Hunter who could help is basically always hurt. So that's, that's their problem. I think this roster has a lot of talent, but maybe like you said, there could be a two for one out there or something to, to ship out some of the young offensive firepower and bring in a little bit more of um, the Jay Crowder types or like the Mikel Bridges types. Not that they're, those players are available, but that 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 type of player who can really supplement what they have going on on defense. Absolutely. Um, and the other, I mean, the, the thing with Capella is interesting because he has is a shell of himself after he got paid, right? He got paid, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He got the um, extension. It was like pretty big too, like 20, 20 million a year for, for three, four years. Yeah. Yeah, pretty b- and and they're still a very good pick and roll team. Um, you know, like offensively, they're getting everything they they usually get. You're right though. The, uh, you look across the roster, there's no one who can really be relied on for defense and you have to have at least one or two of those guys, those switchable wings. Like the, the more I think about it, you think about the playoffs these last couple of years. All the contenders in the finals uh or in the conference finals have those even if they're just bodies, like yeah. like you mentioned, the um, what am I? Why am I blanking on his name? Who's on the Suns? Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder, yeah. Low types. Like even if you have a guy like Torian Prince, you throw out there. You just need a a three slash four kind of those bodies. And I think one of the trades Kings fans have been talking about are send Harrison Barnes there. Now Harrison That's Barnes defensively player. has not been good this season, but he's a veteran and he's at least a little bit more reliable than a lot of guys on their roster. And he can kind of plug and play into their offense without giving up much, right? He's not like a net negative on offense. Yeah. Um, so I think they need to make a move for one of these guys, and they've got enough assets on their roster that they can. It'll be interesting to see how aggressive they are at the trade deadline because 
at this rate, it doesn't look like it's going to get much better. Um, even if they get all their guys healthy, they still have a long ways to climb back into the kind of upper echelon of the East. Yeah, and the more I watch Trey, the more I'm pretty convinced that he's basically a top five or ten offense onto himself. Like, he's so good that you don't really need to put a ton of, like, amazing individual talent around him. Um, you really need to find, like you said, guys like Harrison Barnes, e- even if you look at Dallas, like a Dorian Finney-Smith, right? Or you look at um, uh, Minnesota, like Jaden McDaniels, like somebody who's going to compete on that end, who can knock down open shots, who doesn't need the ball, I think. I mean, truly, they have DeAndre Hunter. Like, this is the guy. They drafted him number four overall. He just doesn't play. That's kind of a problem, right? So um, I think they thought Reddish was going to fit that role, and Reddish is uh, learning from the Kelly Oubre school of inconsistency. And so you just never know night to night what the hell you're getting from him. This guy has been hit or miss since high school, basically. That's the last time he's been consistently good. Um, So, yeah, I think, look, they were probably a little bit ahead of schedule with that run last year. you know, the team was bad before they fired Lord Pierce, right? So they caught lightning in a bottle, made an amazing run. Everyone thought it would just continue. And I wonder if the truth of this team is somewhere, not all the way back to where they were at the start of last year, but closer to that than being an Eastern Conference contender at this point. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, but like you said, maybe it's a reason not to panic just yet because they were ahead of schedule last year. They still have a lot of promise on the roster. They haven't had a lot of games together. They still have a positive net rating, right? They're sub 500. But when you look at net rating, they're not in the bottom half of the league. Um, Yeah, it could be noise, right? It could be noise that evens out over the course of the year. Yeah, it's just such a weird year and hard to read into what's going on. But but even then, I think they do need to make some moves on the fringes, even just to to be more competitive. So. It is a hard year, dude. Like I was actually just drafting V four, V five of my All Star teams, <laughs> and we'll talk about that next week when we get to the halfway point or whenever before they're announcing starters. And it's impossible to try to make heads or tails of like games played as it relates to who you want your All Stars to be because. Like a guy like Jimmy Butler, who has missed 16 games, the time that he's played, he's essentially amazing. But 16 out of 39 games is a big chunk of the year. Um, So in a normal year, you would say maybe that excludes him. Um, In this year, when everybody's got five or 10 missed games, it feels like it matters less. Um, And, you know, I was thinking like the Wizards had a bunch of COVID issues but we were actually relatively unscathed compared to some of the teams that were literally signing guys off the street. Um, nope. Like I think I was watching, was it Toronto? Who I was watching them play uh, Cleveland. They got absolutely smoked. They must have lost like forty points right the other night. But you look at who the roster was, and I'm not sure you could recognize more than like three names. They were like almost made up two K generated names. So. Yeah, I mean, I think with the All-Star this year, you're going to have to lower the bar. Um, I, I don't know, like, what's you play six, 70% of games is good enough? 65, 70? Um, yeah, I mean... Which is, what is that, 55 games? <laughs> yeah, and that's going to be interesting for end-of-year awards, right? Things like that. Like, a guy like Durant. I mean, technically, the MVP leader as of now is Steph Curry. I just... No, no, yeah. he's not... No, good. I'm just, just talking... Okay, I'm just telling you what the like FanDuel odds are, right? He is currently number Yeah. That's still. surprising. Okay. So he's like minus one ten and then Durant is plus two fifty or something like that. And then everyone else is Giannis is third, nine to one, and everyone else is below that. So Yo, we should slam Durant right now. 
Although was, yeah. Kyrie's back, so who knows? But but if he doesn't play road game, uh, home games, they'll still give him credit for keeping things together. Yeah, but the scoring efficiencies might go down. But anyways, yeah, I, but yeah. I with, think... the, with these games missed, it's like all right, I don't know what to think because like LeBron, for example, missed five ten games early, and it seemed like a big chunk. And now he's probably among the leaders in in, in terms of stars in games played because he's been out there and no. crushing it for the last two three weeks. So. Um, I did see though that the Lakers, who somehow are up to sixth in the West, but they're it's, one, it's insane. But they're one in seven in their last eight games versus teams with winning records. So I don't know what to think. Yeah, I mean they're they're up there, and and Dallas is also only half a game above them. So it, the top four in the West is kind of a cut above everyone else. Um, yeah, and then everyone's just jostling. So maybe right, we move on to the West now. Yeah, let's switch to the West. So. The team that is the most surprising, I think there's a pretty clear answer here, and that is uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, who are in that fourth spot, uh, like you mentioned. And so, you know, with Memphis, it's interesting. If you remember when we had uh, Arash and Ashkan on um, mm-hmm. last year talking about various topics, we went through one of the questions was, who has the best core, uh, best young core, if you remember, right? Yeah. I actually picked Memphis, um, and I said – Ja Morant, Triple J, and everything else they have going around. It, a lot of flexibility, a lot of cap space. Like, this could be big. And it's funny because while that has currently proven to be a good prediction, you could argue Triple J is, like, their fourth best player. He's not even yeah. necessarily, like, one of the guys that's leading the charge. So, you know, they're 25 and 14, eighth in offense, average defense, just 15th, but eighth in net rating. And the biggest thing to me is like they went ten and two in the twelve games that Ja was out without Ja, which was kind of amazing and a little eye opening. Then they come back and you think, all right, are they gonna? Is Ja actually like not a negative to the team, but are they like maybe playing a more fluid, sharing basket brand of basketball without him? But since he's gotten back, they've killed it too, and he's been amazing. He's on his way for his first All Star experience appearance. But what have you liked so far with Memphis? Um, you know kind of coming in, taking the league by storm this season. I mean, we have to talk about Taylor Jenkins because I, Jaws getting a lot of buzz right now, even some like not MVP serious buzz. MVP buzz, but you know, like kind of like, Oh, but what about jaw? You know, he, he has a good shot. I uh, I think he's been good. He's been really good. Um, you know, just eye test wise, or forget about the numbers watching him in crunch time. Like he, he literally carries them at the end of games. Jaron Jackson has not been, he still hasn't taken the leap. He's kind of everyone expects him to kind of jump to this other level. He hasn't gotten there yet, but yeah. he's been healthy this year, which is huge for the first time I feel like in his career where he's actually been playing. I think he's played almost all all their games so far. Yeah, he looks a um, little creaky, but yeah, he's at least been out there. He doesn't look. <laughs> he has the weirdest game, dude. Like in his shot form, he, he it's he doesn't very look sm- no, not smooth at all. Not smooth. Uh, I don't know. I had a very pic- different picture of him coming out of college, but he's he's still a solid player. Um, I, but I think it it really is a testament to Taylor Jenkins and the fact that this team went to ten and two. They get contributions across the board. Um, you know, Stephen Adams has actually been pretty solid for them uh, in terms of he gives them a lot of minutes. Doesn't do a lot on the floor, but uh, yeah. he's he's played every game. Um. And I mean, we've talked about you know Dylan Brooks and Brandon Clark and some of these guys who are just nothing special about them. But I think this team, just as a whole, chemistry wise, works very well together. They so. just have a lot of really good players. Um, 
like I was watching the Lakers game and LeBron was going wild, hitting crazy threes. Russ was going wild in a different direction. Um, and half the Lakers were standing around with their dick in their hands, like not knowing what to do. And it felt like the Memphis machine, you know, Ja was making his spectacular plays, like you said, late game, like taking over. But like Desmond Bain was hitting threes and like they were grabbing rebounds and they weren't turning the ball over and they were just making smart passes and they were making the right rotations. And that's a big testament to the job Jenkins has done as coach. I think he's got to be clubhouse leader right now for coach of the year, Um, you know, among some other worthwhile candidates, but he's got to be right up there. Then you look at you look at Ja. I mean, the MVP thing sounds absurd as a third year player, you know, kind of first time all star this year. But his numbers are kind of insane dude he's like 25 7 and 6 but then shooting a career high 40 percent from three right um he's 50 percent from the field basically and so he's good from two and from three he's attacking the rim and they have great supporting casts like dylan brooks hasn't even played half the games right they've had some injuries as well that they're dealing with that you you think about when they're all out there like even a guy like DeAnthony Milton or Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones, like there's so much depth that you're never playing bad players. And I don't think that can be understated how important that is. That was the crux to a smaller degree of the Wizards hot start was like everyone that played was like solid. And so nobody was like screwing up. Um, And I think that plus like star power from Ja, I don't know, man, like we saw a glimpse of this versus Utah last year in the playoffs when they stole game one on the road. We saw it versus Golden State. They sent Steph Curry's ass home after everybody was like on his jock all year about leading the league and scoring MVP, blah, blah, blah. He had a one and one winning in to the playoffs and he couldn't do it. And there's a reason for that is because Dylan Brooks locked his ass up. Right. (laughs) And so this team is for real. And I feel like they've had a few chances to show us something and they do. We're still kind of not yet taking them quite seriously enough, but. I can't wait to see how they finish out. And if they make it to the playoffs, which, you know, I expect them to make it to the playoffs, but if they get like a Dallas or a, even like a Denver who clearly has the best player in that series, strength in numbers might really take it all over. Yeah. And I mean, you look at the, talk about the standings. Yeah. They may slip. Second half may not be as good as the first half, but they have a five game lead over the fifth seed. So they've got a cushion. Yep. They're in that upper echelon of teams. Um, and it's it's what you said, man. Like I think this is an underrated part of roster building, where when you're playing ten man rotation in the regular season, and not a single guy is really kind of a net negative, like too bad on offense or too bad on defense that can really be taken advantage of. Um, like you look at a lot of the top teams, the Lakers have a guy like that, right? The Nets have guys like that. The Warriors will have a guy like that. But it seems like this entire Grizzlies team, from top to bottom, um, is average to above average guys. Um, the, the thing with jaw though, is like, you look at his numbers, I actually think his, his eye test, he looks more impactful than his numbers actually indicate. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about 25, six and five, dude, Fox last year put up 25, seven and four. Um, and the worry with jaw is the three point shooting. It's amazing to see he's at 40% this year. It's, it's he's still got a high volume three point shooter. And it, what if it's a blip year? Cause we've seen a lot of guards like that have that blip three point year. And I, I, yeah, so you hope it's a trend and he continues to to shoot that well. But if that goes away, I don't know how special he really is in, in the grand scheme of things. Like that's not a knock on him, but we see a lot of guards like this. And without a consistent is, three point shot, like he's another one of many. 
Fox doesn't have the dog in him that Ja has. Yeah, I, I know that. Like the intangibles, the eye test, I get it. Like, I, look, I these love guys, Ja. These guys in Memphis will kill for Ja. I've never heard anybody say that about Fox. As much as, as he seems like a stand-up dude, you know, high quality, high character, all those things. I don't know that people like Ja, whether it's the Murray State thing where he's got a chip on his shoulder, you know, he's still the number two overall pick, so not like he was slept on in the draft. But something about him, he's galvanized that team in a big, big way at such a young age. Like, he's only 22. I think there's a another level for him to go. And then to your point, yeah, the three-point shooting, if it comes down, it's a different kind of player. But to me, he's proven that he can be effective even without a great three-point shot. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said, but just remember, this team went 10-2 and two without him. So th- this is a team of dogs in general. I don't think yeah. it's just because of Ja, I think it's just, and that's why I think Taylor Jenkins deserves a lot of credit because it's very clear that a lot of this is just coaching. I mean, uh, Desmond Bain is going to win most improved player of the year, I think. Oh, yeah. Even though he's he a probably, second year player. He probably deserves it too, but some second year guys, players usually don't get it. So some guys, and I actually am in this camp as well. I think voting for second year players is poor form because that is when they get better. The thing that's interesting about Bain that you don't normally see is it's like, Okay, you can see, like, let's take LeBron, for example, right? Was awesome his rookie year, but, you know, 25 and 5, didn't make the playoffs. Then second year, he's, like, top five in scoring. But it's LeBron. It, we, like, we expected that. The thing with Bain is he's turned into a different kind of player. Like, he was just kind of 3 and D, catch and shoot. This is Danny Green 2.0 kind of shit last year. This year, he's putting the ball on the floor. He's running the, you know, he's running out of pick and roll. He's attacking the rim. He's turned into a little bit of a playmaker. Like, it's a version that I don't even know we expected whatsoever. And so it's a bizarre move for a second-year player to get the award, but he's kind of having – he has a very unique case from what we normally see. Yeah, I agree with that. They're asking more of him in terms of what he can do on the floor this year. And, I mean, look, he's also gotten twice as many opportunities. He's actually shooting worse from three than last year. But like you said – scoring all across uh, other parts of the floor um, at a high clip. He has a good case, man. I haven't actually looked at uh, the all the different candidates for, for best improved or haven't thought about it, but I definitely think he'd be up there. So I'm feeling a little resentment from you. I feel like it's because this is what Sacramento was supposed to be as a franchise, you know, with Fox and Bagley being Ja and Triple J. Like, I think that's what's happening right now. A little lukewarm from you on the on the Grizzlies here. Well, that's 100% what it is, right? It's and it the problem is I feel like with good culture and good coaching, could Fox's career have turned out more like Jaws? Like I I don't think Fox Fox has been a like a born leader. He has been a vocal guy, he has been a hard worker, but I think this la- this year he's kind of been broken and he hasn't been that guy and I think that's what culture, bad coaching, all that does to you. And that's why I keep harping on the coaching because as as talented as all these guys are, I feel like it's it's a collective kind of philosophy that they've implemented there in Memphis with Taylor Jenkins. That's really making them this good where they can not miss a beat no matter who's sitting out any given night. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the Kings had a guy like that in Mike Malone. Um, and we know what happened there. Maybe he could have been that version of Taylor Jenkins. Maybe even Dave Yeager, if they gave him a longer, you know, yeah, leash, I was but... thinking Yeager also who ironically also coached the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Memphis is, is going to be a fun, tough out, as we always say. Like, they're not title contenders. They're not, like, about to challenge for league supremacy or anything like that. 
can they get there in two years? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. That is the hardest jump to make in the NBA, going from exciting young playoff team to we could win the title. Uh, we just watched it. We just spoke about Atlanta kind of regressing from that exact perch. And so we'll see what happens with Memphis. Um, but, you know, injuries aside, I think that's the big thing. It's like, can Triple J stay healthy? And then can Ja, who hasn't really suffered any major injuries, knock on wood, but can his playing style kind of consistent? Like, he tries to yam on everyone, uh, yeah. for better or worse. <laughs> and the way he crashes into people at the rim is scary. I mean, it reminds me, you know, some people say Rose. I kind of think of it more as like a Russell Westbrook. But yeah. Russ was thick. Russ is like big. Um, Jaw is not big. Jaw almost looks like as if it, I, I don't know, like a, like Brandon Jennings was trying to do that. You know what I yeah. mean? And so that's the worry long term is like, what's his body going to, what's his body going to do five, six years from now? Yeah. Uh, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Steve Francis sometimes. Mm, um, Francis was a little bulkier, but a smaller frame. And he would yep. also go and yam it on people. Um, and he, hey, his prime didn't last all that long. Five years. It did not. I yeah. mean, that was also probably due to <laughs> drug addiction, but neither here nor there. Um, yeah. And it seems like Jaws, like, pretty much peak type of player. Like, that's the fun thing, man. Like, whenever you get a guy who is your guy, like, seeing him blossom, seeing the Nash, I, there's nothing better in fandom than being like, I'm on this dude first, and then seeing the national media come around, and, like, the Grizzlies were talked about in the Bill Simmons podcast, and they were talked about on the Rosillo podcast, and, like, you know, the, the low post will do stuff on them, and, like, that's so enjoyable as a fan. It, it's really, like, euphoric when you just, like, trying to consume all the national media content that you can to just hear the same things over and over again. It makes you so oh, yeah. happy. It's like, no, well, you've already known for a while to see yeah. him finally coming around to it. The, the, Especially look. with a young guy that you drafted. Like that's I remember like when Wall made his first all-star team after we sucked so bad his first three years. I was at work and I I like heard the news as if I was like his like older brother, like kind of <laughs> taking him in and celebrating with him when he first got named to his all-star team. And it was just like it sucks when like those players either turn out to be hurt or bad or whatever. But that, you know, the early days is always the nice, the honeymoon period. Yeah, that's what I thought we had in Fox last year until... Uh, right, right. It, it can all come crashing fast, right? So yeah. Even with Ja, Fo like, you never know. And Fox was on the low post. He was doing all these interviews. Exactly. Like, people were like, oh, next year is his year to make the All-Star team. He got the big contract. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it doesn't happen for everyone. And it also doesn't happen for the guys who were stars day one, right? Like if yeah, you're a Mavericks fan, you never had like that intimate solo moment with Luca and your fandom there. From day one, everybody was slobbering all over him. Exactly, right? you always knew. So, yeah, so you need a guy who's kind of your guy first for this to really. Uh... The the Grizzlies' problem though is that you're, and I'm gonna I've I've said this multiple times, and I continue to stand by it. Your best player cannot be your point guard. They can't, unless That's it's true. a generational point guard like a Chris like Paul, maybe like or a Steph. Even yeah. Chris Paul hasn't won, right? So Steph. Um, and I think for them to take a next leap, they're going to either have to get another guy. Because a lot of the, the thing that we haven't talked about is a lot of the guys on this roster, as good as they are, their ceiling is a little capped, in my opinion. Like, how much better is Dylan Brooks going to be? Like, you know, yeah, sure, Desmond Bain's good, but he is also still relatively limited in his skill set. 
the one guy that they really needed to make a leap leap was Triple J. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not seeing it. And I don't know. He still could. He's still young. You know, he's finally healthy. But without that, this team is going to have to get more, right? I don't think this core necessarily is going to take them into the one or two seed in the West. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. Triple J was what? The number four pick actually went before Trey Young. Um, and it's something that there's a lot of pressure on him. Like, you don't really hear about him in terms of a, oh my God, how could you have made that mistake type thing with Trey? Because. One, you have, sorry, but Mar- Marvin Bagley takes most of that um, kind of spotlight. And then two, they already had John ja Morant, so they would not have taken Trey in that situation. Oh, no, they got Ja the year after. So mm-hmm. either way, they sh- they probably should have taken Trey, right? They didn't. But because they got Ja, maybe, maybe that goes away a little bit. But you look at Jaron Jackson, the most concerning thing is his true shooting percentage has pretty much declined every year of his career. And it's actually at a career low right now. Um, 53.2%. If you look at kind of his two pointers there, his two point percentage was similar the first three years. And that's plummeted this year from 55% to 47%. That's really concerning. Um, so that's why it's like part of it is just shooting more threes, which he's also not doing great, but part of it is just, he's not making shots and, you know, he got paid. He got a pretty big extension, too, for how little he had done from like a accomplishment standpoint. But I don't know. Like, this is one of those things where you have to count on some type. Because when else are you going to draft that high? Probably not ever under this core. And yeah, when exactly. are you going to sign a big free agent? You're going to have to overpay for the next Chandler Parsons, right? So, you know, can you make a trade to acquire some talent or picks or whatever else? Like, yes, because they're going to have cap space. They can take on some big deals. But to your point... If you say Ja has to at least have an equal player, does he could be the best, but someone's got to be a true one B, yep. not like mm-hmm. a big drop off. I don't, I don't know, because like the team we're about to talk about next has this problem where their point guard is their best player, and the drop off is pretty significant to number two, and we've seen how that's worked out. And of course, not to bury the lead, that is Portland. Um, to avoid that becoming the situation here, they need to find someone. And do it quickly, I think, before Jaws' eventual max extension uh, starts. Yeah, you got to start making these moves early, right? I think that's what we've learned. You can't realize it too late, and then your your cap's tied up, and you can't bring in the right guys, and you're you're not a free agent destination anyway. So, yeah, yeah, we're not going to rain on the parade just yet. This is awesome what they're doing, um, and we'll, I think it's going to be fun to watch this continue. Um, all right, so for the disappointing team, like I mentioned, uh, the Portland Trailblazers, who are a true tire fire this season. Um, it is really embarrassing and difficult to watch this team play basketball. Uh, they're 30th in defense. They're giving up 115.5 points per 100 possessions, which is atrocious. Um, even though they're 11th in offense, it hasn't helped. They're still 14 and 23. The only three teams below them are, again, teams that are intentionally trying to lose uh, or are missing Zion Williamson. Um, and so... With Portland, you have Dame, who got off to a really, really bad start. He's recovered a little bit, but still only shooting 32% from three, 40% from the field. CJ has missed a bunch of time. You know, Norm Powell, who they signed, you know, gave the extension to, he's been exactly what he's advertised as, which is good offense, bad defense. That's kind of how you can paint almost every player on this roster. And, you know, they had a new coach in Chauncey Billups, scapegoated Terry Stotts a little bit, and as we find out, it probably wasn't all his fault. So... 
yeah, I guess like what the hell does Portland do from here? I mean, how often do we have to talk about this? It's you have to move CJ McCollum. You have to move potentially, you know, like I think Norm Powell. So obviously they can't just move him right away. Right. Because they, um, no, actually they could. He joined could. the mid season last year. Right. Yeah. They um, signed him this summer. So he's eligible to be traded, but I don't know even know if they want to trade him. He's pretty good, but he's been really good for them. But I think yeah. at some point you need to trade some of this offense for defense. Right. And Norm Powell is a guy who's, I mean, He's shooting what forty close to forty percent from three this year, eight nineteen a game. That's a good chip. CJ McCollum, I know his value is always debated around the league. Like everyone thinks you can trade him for something big like Simmons, but I don't know if a lot of teams want CJ McCollum. But you, like, we have to pull the trigger on something. Um, and I, I think Dame at this point, maybe you you trade away Dame and blow it up because I don't know how much farther this team is going to get making moves around the edges. And I, I can't stand to listen to Dame talk about loyalty one more time. Like I'm, I'm sick and tired of it. He has so, to bring it up every once every couple of weeks. So this, I'm sick and tired of this team, man. But I'm just glad that they're below the Kings in the standings because that's. How I'm sick of. I'm really fucking sick of this team. And CJ McCollum at his age, the last couple of years he's been pretty injured. At that salary, which is 33 million a year, is not necessarily going to headline any trade for a really good player, right? You know, it's so funny that Ben Simmons has basically <laughs> done everything possible to torpedo his value, and somehow we went from the Kings and the Blazers don't want to trade Fox and, and McCollum for him to now the Sixers wouldn't accept those players <laughs> in return, and Simmons has not taken the court during all this time. So I don't know what's going on. Um but nonetheless, yeah, like, okay, yeah, you could trade those guys. You could trade Covington, who's been a disaster this year, shooting under 40% from the field, um, not giving them the defense that he was, you know, renowned to have. Nurkic is another guy. He's fine. Like, he, he's okay. Like, you know, he isn't the reason that this is happening. He's a good player. But it's just like, I mean, we saw this in Washington with the Wall and Beal era, and we're still kind of like living on the vestiges of it with, with Beal. But at some point, no partnership, even ones that are really successful, stay together that long uh, in modern NBA, right? Five, six years is kind of the max, like any core stays together. And you have this Clippers core that's now been together eight years and have never done anything. You mean Blazers? Um, sorry, Blazers, yeah, yeah. Eight years, like with this McCollum, Clippers, I was thinking Lob City, they broke up. Um, but yeah, like McCollum and Lillard. And the the real problem is with all of this talk about um, Lillard and his loyalty and whatever, like it's kind of putting the Portland in a tough situation because if they're like, look, we have to move you, they're going to look like public enemy number one for trading a guy who allegedly wants to be there. So they need to either tell him to just not say anything anymore or – privately come to terms that he has asked you know for a trade because if they do it while he's saying he wants to remain it's gonna re boomerang poorly on that franchise i think oh yeah that's what i hate about this whole thing because he's leaking it through his agent about you know certain things about his unhappiness and, and openness being traded and then when that news comes around and then people come back to him he's like no 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 i want to stay in portland i just want to make sure they put the best team around me so it's like he's in the best case situation possible portland's in this tough spot but um, I, 
at so some point. So he basically point, gets to have it both ways. He gets to have it both ways, right? I don't think anyone's going to blame him. And and look, he has been loyal. Like I'm not saying he hasn't, and but you don't need to talk about it and rap about it. Like he, did you hear that line in his rap song? He said like, "Me not wanting to join a super team might end up being my Achilles heel." No, I didn't. Yeah, like okay, fine. Yeah, we know, but like, why do you keep having to talk about it? Like, yeah, oh, either yeah, join my... one or don't. Just shut up. <laughs> shut up. Like, um, go join the Lakers or go join the Clippers or do what you got to do. But if you don't want to join one, then it's fine. Like, nobody's forcing you to. Yeah, and I, th- I think this franchise is in a place where, look, Portland fans are smart, right? They're not. They're not Laker fans. They're not chasing the kind of short term highs. I think they'd be okay with blowing it up. Um, they know the writings on the wall, or they'd be okay making a last ditch effort to put some pieces around Lillard. But to do that, you have to be aggressive. Like you can't be like, "Oh, Norman Powell's playing pretty well from us. We can't get rid of him," or Anthony Simons is relatively still young and is giving us decent minutes. Like you got to ship some of these guys out and just completely retool the roster. And I've been saying this for so long. Like if it's not CJ McCollum, no one but wants no, Nurkic. No one wants. Um, I don't know if Larry, like Robert Covington or Larry Nance, still carry that much value, but well, this is but this contrast your first point, which is like these things around the edges aren't going to matter. Yeah, but but my point is, I agree. But if if you're trying to play the card of okay, we want to be keep Dame here, you know, and we want we don't care, we want Dame to be here for the next three four years. We're going to do whatever to make him happy. You got to do you got to do something. You can't keep running this back. If I'm Portland, let's say the Dame trades are on the table. The guy that I'm targeting is Jalen Brown. Um, because I think Celtics are still in a little bit of panic mode where they don't want to break up that big two. But they know that... I don't know if you watched what happened tonight, but... Oh, my God, I did, yeah. Because <laughs> I had Celtics. I mean, yeah, oh yeah. Absolutely incredible so this for those who didn't watch it's it's wednesday night right now the celtics were up 25 or 26 looking amazing rolling the knicks evan fournier goes scored shirt hits 10 threes finishes with like 41 or 44 something like that then an absolutely insane rj barrett banked three at the buzzer for the win all of that to be said the celtics have blown multiple 15 to 20 point leads this season this is just yet another and so they're kind of stuck in this position where their only asset of value is Jalen Brown, assuming they're going to pick Tatum over him, which I think I would. He's the better player. Everyone else is like, whatever. You know, Aaron Neesmith, Marcus Smart, nobody cares. Like, these guys are not getting anything in value. So if you have Jalen Brown and you go trade him for Bradley Beal, let's say, that doesn't change the the direction of your team. In fact, you're probably a little bit worse, right? Yep. If you go get a Dame, you can at least talk yourself into a tier one star that is otherwise not available. Um, And that would represent, I think, really good value for Portland, who is definitely trading for Jalen Brown's best years and giving up Dame's probably worse years. Um, And I think that would be a, a player I would really target. Yeah, but I don't know if I don't know if Boston says yes to that. They may not. They may not, but I I know that uh, I know that they are starting to kick the tires on what to do, um, and of course they're going to start with trading around the fringes. That's what everyone does. That's what we're talking about. Portland should do right first, but I I mean this team was in the conference finals in three of Jalen Brown's first four seasons, I think, uh, and two of the first three for Tatum. So pretty 
rare and successful start for those guys. Do you see them? I mean, I don't know. Absence of a miracle. How are they going to get back there in the next five years? I just don't see how that's possible. Um, so if you think about it like that, oh. then you say, okay, well, we got to maximize Tatum's prime because that's basically coming up in the next couple of years. I've been a proponent of they have to probably move Jalen Brown. I don't know if these two guys, it's clearly not working the way they wanted to. And Jalen Brown's developing some bad habits too. Like, I mean, I, he's become a much better scorer, but when you watch him, like not only tonight, it's like a couple of other games, he's been, he makes a lot of poor decisions. He takes a lot of forced shots and it's, it's bad habits because that team is literally just Tatum and Brown. Um, taking turns yeah. on offense with smart shooting the occasional three. Uh, and that's what they're all they were doing today. And it was infuriating watching them. Uh, all they do is run off pick and roll and just jack three jack threes. Like, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like they don't have any other offense. Even tonight when they were losing the lead, they just kept shooting. Like they weren't doing anything else. That's Tatum finally started going to the basket a little bit, but otherwise it's just like pick and roll pop three, pick and roll over, pop. Over. Maybe you swing it to Horford who'd break a three, but everything <laughs> yeah. was, um, yeah, so, I mean, okay, going back to the Blazers, yeah, they've already reached the, they've already passed the point of no return. Like, you know, you never want to get to the point where your team is like, now it's, your roster's old, you're not competing anymore, and you can't get, you're only going to get spare parts for for the guys you already have, but at this point. You know when things really turned? When they beat the Lakers in game one in the bubble, and Charles Barkley said they were going to win the series. Yeah. They lost four after that. Oh, okay. Let's let's also not talk about Charles Barkley. Do you? We need to go back to our pod after that. I like didn't the say they were going to win the series. The victory laps you were taking, and oh my god, the bubble is fraudulent, dude. It's like trying to predict what's happening in like the metaverse. Like you can't even figure out like what's going on. That whole thing was fake. Um, I I'm almost at a point of refusing to accept that that even happened. No. That was one it of was, the many things we'll sweep under the rug as part of the COVID pandemic. No, uh, the, the thing you forget, though, now. is that was some of the best basketball we've seen. Like, it was intense. Guys were healthy. It was just good Paul basketball. George would disagree with that. No trade. I mean, the, the Clippers, yeah, fine. But, like, the it's quality It's sad that of we play, never got Clippers-Lakers, and we probably won't from here on out. No. But even if you remember, those Clippers-Mavs games were good. Like they were really, they were good, really, yeah. really good. Luca's game winner. We didn't talk Mavericks, and we haven't really talked about them all season, but they look like the ultimate treadmill team right now. I wish Luca would get on a treadmill, but aside <laughs> from that, I don't know what they're doing. Like they just look like the same team every year, destined for a five or six seed in a round one battle, and maybe maybe they win, but maybe they lose. And Jason Kidd was the last coach to come in and, and reinvent them or make them something that they weren't before, right? Like, he was yeah. going to – if anything, he's been a coach that's taken a really bad team and gotten them somewhere respectable, but this was the worry. Like, they were not going to be any better off with him, and I don't know, man. This is a – we can talk about them too, but, like, the, the reason you don't, you're don't you not as concerned about with Dallas is, like, Luca is a – He's a solver. All the, he's a problem solver. He's a problem solver. He's a generational superstar, regardless of the weight issues, all that stuff. So you'll figure a way to make it work. And Porzingis is playing better, but it's just not translating. I mean, I know Luca's missed a bunch of times, so that's part of it. But even when he's playing, it's not like they were doing really well. They were kind of in the same record. Yeah, Porzingis has been like what they, I think, envisioned when they traded for him, but it still yeah. hasn't really moved the needle. So, Last thing I'll say, um, 
Kevin Durant and LeBron James are one, two in the league in minutes and points at 33 and 37 respectfully, respectively. Yeah. Which I don't know. That's amazing. It's amazing. And I think, uh, you know, I think it lends to the goat candidacy for LeBron too, because you can't take longevity for granted, man. You can't take the fact that he's putting up these minutes and playing this well. Longevity matters if the primes are similar. And the primes were not similar, unfortunately. It's not LeBron's fault his prime is 15 years long. If Jordan had a 15-year prime and we included the Wizards years in that, then we'd... Jordan did have a 15-year prime. He was great every year he played. But he only played 15 (laughs) years. He was actually really good in D.C., but they had Jahadi White and Popeye Jones as, like, his main two, like, wingmen. (laughs) Do you want to talk about a roster-building disaster? Go look at those... Go look at the the year after we traded Rip Hamilton. At least if we kept him, maybe there would have been something. But the second year we traded Rip Hamilton for like old fat Jerry Stackhouse, and then we had like Tyrone Nesby and Chris Whitney and guys you've oh never God. heard of, those never heard of in your It's like those are guys who wouldn't even get like a minute of playing time in today's. Opinion. No, no. And Jordan was pretty good. Like, he got hurt his second year, but otherwise he was yeah, pretty good. Yeah, he made good. the All-Star game. I know, I know. You know it's... The only thing that good came out of that is that we sold out all 82 home games in his two seasons, and I don't think <laughs> we've done that since. cash grab. Yeah, it really was for everyone involved. But, yeah. All right. Anything else you got for me? No, man. Um... Oh, you're going, to, you're going to Tampa this weekend. I'm going to go the see game. this first uh, time in Ray J Carolina uh, game. Yeah, I'm. I just hope Tom Brady doesn't catch COVID from this from unvaccinated this Sam Darnold. No, no, no. From this model who said she got COVID and was with Antonio Brown, oh, right? Yeah. And that's slowly making its way through the Bucks locker room. That's my biggest concern. But um, the the crazy thing about COVID is, I feel like everyone's story is an edge case, and it never follows one kind of timeline of events. Yeah. <laughs> so I got exposed on the 11th. But I didn't test positive till the twenty first, which is way past when they tell you, right? Yeah, they yeah, usually yeah. say it's like three to five days. You think you would have cleared, yeah, by then. And so, who the hell knows? Yeah, I don't know, but it should be good, man. I'm excited. Um, I, I'm hoping Brady can make one last push for the MVP. I don't think he's going to get it at this rate, but who knows? You know, he throws five touchdown passes, bulks up the stats. I told you over text I was not I, – I would lean Rodgers, slight lean to Rodgers. I don't know why it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, it shouldn't be. But And, and the one, here's the one thing I hate. I hate people who say, oh, um, the only people who say Rodgers shouldn't get it is because they have this vendetta against him for the vaccine stuff. I'm like, I don't think anyone actually is using that against him except for – what was his name? Hub. What about that guy? Hub that Arkosh. Sh- Hub Arkosh. Outside of him, like I don't see anyone saying they're not going to give it to him because of that. I think everyone's forgotten about that. He didn't he's get canceled. Got, he's gotten rightfully flamed, by the way, on Twitter the last couple of days. Oh, he people are he's getting yeah, he had to write an apology article and everything. He's going to lose he, his vote. Yeah, I mean, probably. Maybe he should. I don't know that you should have like personal vendettas that like have vaccine stuff aside. It sounds like he took that one into the season with his uh, with his anger about the way Rogers. But then again, Bill Simmons 
yelled at Rodgers every week while they were winning, being like, oh, look how he torpedoed their offseason, blah, blah, blah. So if Bill Simmons had a vote, he probably also would have that same perspective. He, yeah, but that, but it's different when you're saying, like, you, I'm not going to vote for him. Like, you publicly make that comment, right? That is true. But, yeah, even looking at Tampa's games, like, really the only game that they didn't play well offensively in recent times was kind of the, the Saints game. Saints and Washington, they struggled a bit to move the ball. They scored 19, I think. But Washington, um, but I, I was almost thinking, like, at the Washington game, he still had the lead for MVP. So I'm kind of thinking about when he lost the lead. Oh, when he lost the lead. It was only the Saints game. Yeah, that's like, what I'm literally saying. before that game, people were saying he was the runaway favorite. Um, yeah, he was clubhouse leader until basically that week, and then it flipped. Because I think the other thing is that game lost him the one seed. Otherwise, he had the inside track yeah. for the Bucks to get the one. And and the the crux of the argument for people who think Brady, I, I think, is that the Bucks need him to be that good game in and game out. I think the Rodgers, the way Lafer schemes on offense, the running game they have, he has much bigger margin for error than Brady does. Like I, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to that, and that's why Brady passes so much more. That's why he has the volume stats. It's not just because they're trying to run up the score, but it's Brady has better weapons, right? Like Rodgers has Adams. And, and but Adams yeah. is like a generational wide receiver, right? Yeah, and but Adams, I mean, and Godwin, Evans, Antonio Brown, Gronk, Fournette. Like, I know some of these guys aren't there anymore, but they were for most of the year. And a fully healthy starting O-line, whereas Rodgers is playing with four backups. I think that's... Yeah, but, but and, and a broken I, I hate toe. the backup argument because the offense has still... Like, if your backups are playing just as well or relatively well. Part well, of that is because causing... of how well Rodgers is setting them ah, up. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Give Rodgers all the credit for how well the back of O-line is playing. Part of it yeah. is they're just playing well. Like There's I mean, not hasn't been around, a huge drop-off. If you're running around like your head's cut off like Baker Mayfield, even the best O-line in the world can't save you. Rodgers is making Yeah, part of it play. is on the quarterback, 100%, getting the ball out on time. Listen, Rodgers' left tackle was like uh, is a Virginia Tech guy. I'm pretty sure that he's not that good. I've seen that guy play in college. I was shocked to know that he's getting actual PT for the Packers. Okay, I don't care about your firsthand account of of, of Virginia Tech players. I, I I still think that. Anyways, Brady. I think, and and you look at the schedule. It, there's this perception that the Bucks have had a much easier schedule than the Packers. Do the Packers, the like, are the Bears anything special this year? No. Like when when Rodgers beats the Bears and does the like you know all the bravado stuff, everyone's like saying it's amazing. When then Tom Brady beats the Jets, he's everyone's like, oh, it's the Jets. The Jets are as good as the Bears probably. The Jets also beat the Titans and had some big wins, more so than the Bears can say. So, anyways, I don't know. I think Rodgers has played a pretty weak schedule. I just don't think he he's been amazing. He's just what I'm Brady's to, doing I'm is find the strength of schedule right now. I'm not even able to find it. It's just, telling me I, what the remaining strength of schedule is. So the Packers. Are I know playing. I had the same trouble finding it, but I I did the research for you. I told you they Brady beat five playoff teams. I don't trust beat you. Four. You you tend to you you're the part of the you know I'm doing my own research crowd. We can't really trust that. I'm writing I'm it down on my piece talk. of binder paper. You know this is my method of data collection. Yeah right. Proprietary tool called Scrape. <laughs> Um, all right, I guess we'll see. Rodgers is going to play, so he'll at least be able to keep the gap somewhat close on stats, but uh, Brady's going to go over 5,000 yards this week, which I don't know if he's done before. So, 
He has he not. He might have done it in the. Oh, he didn't. He might. I was gonna say he thought he did it in the twenty two thousand seven season. I know he threw fifty TDs, but the wild thing is though, last year and this year, right? Um, if you look at the sixteen games, like if you cut the season off right now, Brady forty touchdowns, twelve picks, forty touchdowns, twelve picks. I think like forty six hundred or forty five hundred yards last year, forty nine hundred yards this year. Poster boy so, hey. consistency. They could easily they could easily run it back. It's the the blueprints out there, no, and I don't know no. who else in the NFC is even Green Bay. I don't really know who's scaring any anybody. They don't have a dominant team that's like even Green Bay. They almost lost to Cleveland. They almost you know they didn't look great against Seattle. Like they've had a couple blips here and there that make you question. You know, yeah, they've beaten down the Bears and the Vikings without Cousins and some other teams, but they almost lost to the freaking Ravens with uh, with. The, what's the guy's name? Um, Huntley, right? If they didn't get, if they got that two point conversion, maybe they lose that game. So it's not been like dominant for Green Bay either. It hasn't, but you know, you get a buy, so you get one one less game to potentially lose. You got Lambeau Field. I really think the Rams are looking good and scary. No, you can't trust Maddie Matt Stafford. I look no at the way. fact that they're able to still be winning these games with Matt Stafford playing the way he is as a positive. I don't think That's Stafford true. is going to continue to do this. That's true. I just cannot see Stafford going into Lambeau and beating, beating uh, Maybe Rodgers. Maybe not. I think if anyone's going to beat Rodgers and Lambeau, it'll have to it's be the Brady. Bucks. Yeah. Yep. If if it's Dak Prescott, if it's Matt Stafford, if it's you know Kyler Murray, respect to all those guys, they're not beating him there. I just don't. I mean, I don't know. I I agree with that. I agree with that. So we'll see. We'll how see the, man. Yeah, I guess we'll see. And the, the Washington football team's uh, fleeting hopes for the playoffs died, and of course Philly the, somehow. The Washington got in. Admirals. Who Washington thought that? Admirals. Yeah, I know. Who thought that the NFC East, which everyone considered the worst division in football, was going to get two teams in? That's actually crazy. Yeah. Even with the seven teams, which I know Philly is going to most likely finish seventh, that's pretty amazing. What What are your thoughts on the Admirals' name? Um, I mean, give, like, I know that's been leaked. I don't know if it's actually going to be official, but I'm guessing it does that's... seem Boomer Esiason said it was going to be that. Yeah. If you type WashingtonAdmirals.com, it redirects to our current homepage. Um, it sounds like when you relocate your franchise to to like Mexico City or to Kansas City or, or Las Vegas or something, that that's the team name that you get assigned, <laughs> and then you pick like the generic anchor for your logo and yeah. put it on, slap it on everything. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, I like it better than like the hogs or the red hogs or the red tails or some of this dumb stuff like that. It's generic. It's, I mean, there are some ties. There's obviously a big military presence in DC. There's a Naval base in Annapolis, Naval academies in Annapolis nearby. It's fine. Yeah, I I know. But like you said, it reeks of created team in Madden. Like, but I don't know what they could have picked that wouldn't make me think that unless they really went with something like Washington presidents, which would have been, Kind of embarrassing. I like Red Wolves. They didn't. They did. They couldn't get copyrights on Wolves, and so that created a problem. Oh, and just just in pure Washington, just Dan Snyder idiocy fashion. One of the holdups right now on Admirals is that there is a Washington Admirals Quidditch team that plays in DC. <laughs> oh man. Oh, man. You won't find a bigger Harry Potter fan than me, but I'm ready to take that Quidditch league down and just destroy <laughs> the whole thing. 
The HBO special was good, by the way. I don't know if you got a chance to watch that. Oh, already. I haven't watched it yet. I should watch it. I've actually, I, I've been starting, I wanted to rewatch all the movies. Yeah. Um, and I think I've watched the first two. Uh, I kind of want to watch all of them again before I watch the uh, special. We got through like four during our quarantine, but then ran out of steam because they ended up getting kind of long and then they all sort of like blend together and the whole <laughs> exactly. thing is like, and then you're like, fuck, the seventh movie is actually, seventh book is two it's movies. Two movies. Yeah. So you're not even done when you think you're done. So it's a lot, it's a lot to manage. But all right, man. Well, that's a wrap. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Send us your questions, send us your thoughts, and we will be back next week. Bye.